talked to you about this before, like, I have a, I have a little bit of, like, nerves about it because, of course, when we started Garden Valley Pipe Band in 2015, a lot of players from White Peaks started playing with Garden Valley, and uh, I can't help but, especially now after a few years of trying to run a pipe band and having folks go to play with other bands, I have some, what is it? Is it guilt? Is it... Uh, Sadness. I'm not sure what exactly, but I I don't doubt at all that that was an effect that uh, that was felt in White Peaks. Yeah, it's always sad to see people go, but I always hope that things work out good for them wherever they're headed. That's very kind of you, and and you probably have seen this quite a bit, having done this for a while. Um, so I wonder if I could get kind of a kind of a, a chronological uh, biography from you. You know, like. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? When did you first encounter bagpipes? And uh, I don't know, maybe just start from there and let's see where it takes us. Well, I, I grew up probably most of my childhood in Salt Lake. And then I moved to Spanish Fork for a few years. And then I've been in Payson. And uh, Payson Junior High and High School had a bagpipe band here that was run by Jerry Chatlin. And a friend of mine, John Paul Hurst, and I... Um, well, actually, originally I signed up for the pipe class, and the counselor told me that it was only for girls. So I what? Got... Yeah. How is that? That's what they thought, I guess. So I, I dropped. They strongly encouraged me, and I dropped the class. And um, when I was a kid growing up, I had a friend from Scotland. He had a set of toy bagpipes that I remember. Yeah. Um. But my mind's a uh, little bit blown, though. Like, like. People, especially right now, there's some talk around in the community about sort of how it's a very, like, male-dominant sort of, I was about to say sport, not not sport, but, you know, like, competitive piping, right? There's a lot of men and not as many women and stuff. Do you remember there being, like, an especially high ratio of women in, or, or girls, rather, in the, you know, in the high school program at the time? Oh, there were, yeah, probably mostly girls in the high school program at that time. That is interesting, because I have, I have thought before, like, you know, I hear people talk about that, and I think it's true on a large scale, but it does seem like locally, maybe just here in Utah County, there are a lot of women in piping and drumming. Yeah, it's something I've ran into um, from time to time. Uh, my bands have traditionally, I guess, had, it's not so uncommon now, but had a lot more women than other bands that we ran into. Yeah, I think yeah, Garden I, Valley I, has actually spent a decent amount of its time where women outnumber men. Yeah, for me, it's never really been an issue because I don't really care. Because you're a cool guy. If if you can play bagpipes, say hey, great, let's yeah. do it. But we, I, you know, there's been a few times where we've had some kickback because of that at, at places we've been. But um, wow, that's so interesting. It's it's not so much the case anymore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at the time it was mostly girls and pace, and there were there were a few guys. Um, but your counselor was like, that's for girls, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, so I dropped it. I How dropped funny. the class. Yeah. And then my, my friend John Paul Hurst and I, we uh, we dared each other to take the class. Oh, on, really? a dare, on a dare, uh, I dropped my gym class at the time and signed back up with my friend. And um, Well, kudos to you. Because, ever like, since. <laughs> if I could think of anything that would be more like sort of emblematic of like stereotypical gender norms and stuff, it would be, in this case, for you to drop your gym class, you know, your masculine manly gym class to go and take the apparently girls piping class so kudos <laughs> to you don for for going for it well i don't the the girl thing i guess wasn't ever a big issue for me i, yeah. I was interested in bagpipes and um it turns out later i've got a family history of it but um i didn't know that at the time mm. Well, and what maybe it comes up later in the in the story. So if you'd rather put it off, feel free to. But what what is that family history? Because I'm I'm vaguely aware that certainly your parents were at least supportive. Because I know that like I know your mom made you one of those cool raincoats and stuff like that. But that sort of the generation immediately preceding yours, they weren't pipers. Is it further back? You had some family members that played pipes. It was yeah. My dad tolerated bagpipes. Oh yeah, he's, he, he's a pretty good sport about it. Um, yeah. My mom liked him. Um, yeah, I got. My mom was really into genealogy. She's the one that that shared hey, the story with me. Who, but, whose mom isn't, right? Right. <laughs> but um, there's a journal entry of uh, one of my ancestors, and his wife joined the LDS Church, and um, 
she wanted to come to America, and um, he didn't want to come to America, and they were both very stubborn people, and so she packed up everybody and chartered a boat to America, I, and I think, I believe that she felt like he would follow if she she went first. And, and, um, and were, they, were they coming from Scotland? Yeah. So is th- does this play perfectly into the stereotype of Scottish people being uh, somewhat... Should I say belligerent? Like certainly stubborn, you know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it runs in my family. I, I can vouch for that part. <laughs> but yeah, her journal entry, her last journal entry of Scotland, is she can see him on the shore, um, playing. Really? So, yeah, and it's 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 an interesting thing. Um, that just kind of gave me goosebumps. I mean, that's kind of beautiful and kind of sad and interesting. You know. It's... Yeah, she wound up on raising her family by herself over here in America. Wow. But, um, and that was pretty much the end of the piping in the line. I mean, nobody picked it up after that. And... But I, I feel like I could imagine this being almost cinema, te- cine, cinemagraphic. Is that the word? Like, like th- this could be a beautiful, like, full circle thing where, like, the family is, like, in a way kind of broken, you know, generations ago. And he's playing pipes on the shore as she sails away. And then somehow it comes full circle with you, you know, sort of unknowingly stumbling into piping, you know, generations later on the other continent, you know. Yeah. Just felt drawn to it, and hmm. it's a weird thing, and I don't know how to put it in words. But some tunes, I run across, I pick them up super fast, and it's not like I'm learning them; it's more like I'm remembering them. So mm. I don't know what that's all about, but kind of interesting. That is interesting. You know, and I I don't mean to derail the your your story, but it does make me wonder. Like, so I I never participated. Like, people, especially here in our local niche niche, are probably aware of the Nauvoo pageant over in Nauvoo, Illinois, that the church the that the Mormon Church puts on that includes oh. bagpipes. And I've never participated in it. I don't really understand how bagpipes got into that. You know, but I wonder. I know that you've participated in it. Did that have part? Of, was that part of the motivation that there's like this sort of Mm, sort of cross-generational sort of connection of bagpipes and is that kind of the theme that's happening there in Nauvoo as well? Yeah, the pageant itself is actually written the the main character that the pageant follows through where you get all the church history through the story is from Scotland mm. and his family comes from Scotland and um, so there's this, this main character that's Scottish that, that goes through the whole thing. They actually have the British pageant out there now too. Okay, um, so right when it cut out, you were saying they actually have the British pageant there now. Yeah, it's a pageant that they originally started in Great Britain, um, and it actually tells the the prequel of the Nauvoo pageant, and um, it was pretty well received, and they actually present that one in Nauvoo now, too, so you can see the British pageant one night, and then the Nauvoo pageant the next night, so you kind of get the prequels part of it, and then the, mm-hmm. the Nauvoo pageant itself, it's... It's really good, and it's got bagpipers, so what's not to like, right? Right, it's got to be good. <laughs> yep. Awesome. So, so sorry for the sidetrack. Rewind me now. You you decide to sign up for the class. Now, I know that later on in life you taught a chanter class, and um, but at the time, was it that the high school program, you know, got you from chanter all the way up to pipes, or did you have to find private instruction until you were ready for pipes? Uh, the high school class got you from chanter all the way up to pipes. Um, I got different private instruction along the way and then I I later um, you know studied with even more people after that yeah so um, but yeah high school definitely got me up and going um, the pipe band used to be part of the marching band at the time so mm-hmm. we had to do field shows and um, that type of thing so we got to do a lot of playing it was it was a good experience so from high school uh, did you did you love math in high school? Was that like the you always wanted to work in math and teach math, or was that something that came up later, kind of you know unexpectedly? <laughs> I hated math. Oh, did you? <laughs> if 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 you talk to my friends that knew me in high school, they're flabbergasted that I became a math teacher. I, hate's probably too nice of a word about how I felt through really? about so, math. Really? Well, how did that happen? That's fascinating. Well, life has a lot of unexpected twists and turns. Um, yeah. I went down to college and. I was pursuing my degree, and which involved a lot of math classes, and I would spend hours and hours and hours working on it, trying to figure it out. And, uh, one day, it clicked, and um, 
I started to understand it and the pieces started to come together and they had me teaching at the university I was attending at the time and um, found out that I, I had a, a perspective that was helpful for teaching and mm. um, yeah, kind of got into that. I never intended to become a teacher or particularly a math teacher. That was, I kind of laugh at my students when they say, oh, I'm never going to use this stuff because I was them. <laughs> so yeah. Got to be careful what you say, I guess. Yeah, but that makes it makes so much sense that if you had to struggle through it, if it wasn't intuitive for you, then you would have a perspective that would be very helpful as an instructor, as a teacher. You know. Well, I hope so. You know, if I can spare some of the kids the the frustrations I went through, then then uh, it's a win for me. So, do you feel like now, at this point, you have like a, a love for mathematics in general? Like, do you feel like maybe the struggle, and then it finally clicking, led to a, maybe even a deeper appreciation for mathematics than you would have had if you hadn't had to struggle first? Oh, for sure, mm. definitely. I, I I see it from a different perspective. Um, people think that because I teach math, I'm, you know, that type of brain person, and I'm actually not. I'm kind of a convert, so. I'm more of a work with your hands, um, I guess, play bagpipes mm, yeah, and than a math personality. But I think, you know, it's something I've had to learn, and hopefully I've integrated the two pretty well by now. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, being able to see it from a point of view of being able to understand it, it brings you a lot of appreciation to work hard at something and, and gain a mastery of that. And mm. Sharing that, you know, kind of makes the struggle more worthwhile in my mind. Yeah, I, so. I can relate to the struggle. I always had a really hard time with math. In fact, when I went to college, um, it was several several years after high school, after I would got married, that I decided I'd try doing some college courses. And I had took a placement test, you know, for, for math and English and stuff. And my placement test put me in a math class. It was something like math 1001 remedial pre-junior high pre-algebra like it was just the most i had to take like six math classes before i got to a college level math class like it was a long struggle to get my math mm -hmm. credit oh yeah and, and i even remember like there was one night i was up really late my wife was always trying to help me get through my homework you know mm -hmm. and i was up really late working on my math homework because i was working full-time at the time we'd had our first kid and stuff so i would just stay up late to try to do my homework and I fell asleep while working out one of these long, I don't remember what kind of math it was. It was one of these things where it's like, here's one piece of it. Now you figure out the missing piece, you know? And so I had like this long trail of like, well, if this is this, then that's that, you know, kind of working stuff down. So the, this long trail of numbers all down this paper. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I looked at the paper to see if I'd got the answer. And at the bottom, it just said X equals bad day. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't remember writing it. I think my subconscious self had just finished it and gone to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I spent a lot of hours doing that in college. I, mm. I pretty much had to, had to teach myself a lot of this stuff just from trial and error. That they didn't quite have the support in college that they do now. Um, mm. So I'm glad to have seen that change. But yeah, there were some nights I got like an hour of sleep, and I remember studying for a calculus final, and I, I was up late and. I had a similar experience to yours where I was writing and I felt like I blinked my eyes and opened my eyes and the time for the final was, I only had 10 minutes left. Oh no. And, and right in the middle of the equation, there's a line and it just trailed off down to the bottom <laughs> of the page. So I fell asleep while I was writing, I guess. Oh, so. man. But anyway, it's funny now that I look back at it. It wasn't so great at the time. Right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, it was definitely a struggle, but now, you, you guess, also... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I guess it's the, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and, it, and it does make sense that this would lend itself to you have... Maybe we'd even call it like an outsider perspective on mm -hmm. mathematics, you know? Like, you've had to work through it. Um, and it occurs to me, like, maybe this is a connection that, that doesn't deserve to be made. I'm just, you know, so maybe I'm grasping at straws here. But it does occur to me that... And I, I don't know to what degree this is just my perspective, you know? But, like, I wasn't aware of things before. But it feels kind of like... Right now, with the Piper's Dojo and and a lot of like a lot of like YouTube videos and Zoom classes and stuff like that, there's like a kind of an openness of sort of availability. Like you can get instruction from people like Stuart Little, either directly or recorded, you know, by other people, a little more directly um, than maybe a couple decades ago. And it does make me wonder, like, 
sometimes it feels like bagpipes used to be more of like a black magic that you had to find, you know, the wizard who had the secrets and mm-hmm. uh, and then ask them to do their magic. Whereas now more of the more of the knowledge is maybe more readily available for the, the masses, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I wonder if for you learning to play pipes was maybe somewhat similar to figuring out math. Like, did you kind of have to do a lot of trial and error? Because you didn't have somebody to say, here's how you mandrel a reed. Maybe you just had to break a lot of reeds, you know, before you could figure <laughs> stuff out. I did do a lot of that. Um, and it, you're, you're very much on the head. It was very kind of... Uh, a lot of wife's tales were, were perpetuated mm. over the years. And the instruction is still available now. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, you can, you can pretty much learn about anything you want to learn about. But yeah, I did break a lot of reeds. And I did... I just did a lot of trial and error for a lot of the things that I know. I, I've had good people. David Barkley um, really um, got a lot of people on their feet and got them playing. And um, he gave me a good foundation and a good start, And um, as he has for a lot of people. And the, the Barkleys, they're, they're the family dynasty that's been running the Utah Pipe Band, right? They are, yes. Yeah, they've been been playing bagpipes for a long time. Yeah. What are they, like the third generation of leadership there or something? It's pretty impressive. Uh, well, setting? they have the third generation there. The the David Barkley's father um, played bagpipes in the military, but he got... This is what I've heard secondhand, so take it with a grain of salt. But sure. He was in a... Got some gas you know during the war and so oh. he couldn't play pipes anymore but really he raised he raised his sons to play the pipes mm. and um at one time the salt lake scots and the utah pipe band was one group and they were right. kind of the they were kind of the scottish immigrant group here in utah for a long time and did uh, they, utah pipe and has kept it going for a long time did that same group of people have to do with establishing the celtic center that used to be in salt lake I believe that was the Salt Lake Scots that mm. did that. Um, okay. I never really got up there much, so I couldn't tell you a lot about it. Yeah, I think it was maybe still around when I was a kid, but it, that but I also never got there. And like by the time I was more aware of it, it wasn't there anymore. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Now, now, when you left the high school program and went to college, did you take a set of pipes with you, or was it something you left for a bit and then came back to it? No, I was actually recruited down there for that reason, mm. so... I had some scholarships for playing the bagpipes down there, and um, yeah, awesome. I did a lot of work, a lot of work down there for while I was down there. Um, what 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 school was it? Southern Utah University. Oh yeah, yeah. They used to have quite a big pipe program there. Mm. That's awesome. So um, so you play with the high school program, you go to college, continue working there on your piping. How was it immediately after graduation that you came back north again and joined in with, I'm guessing, the Utah Pipe Band? Um, I I worked there. They actually offered me some different jobs to work there at the university, mm. but um, for different reasons, I wound up coming back up here right after that time, and then I quit piping for about two years mm. um, and just wasn't piping. And there's a little old grandma here in Payson at the time named Helen Scott that was yep. really into the I know her the, I knew the her, pipe, know her. Band, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pipe band um, culture and she kept uh, calling me and asking me to teach a pipe class over at Petite Neat and yeah. um, I she she's a woman that's um, not to be denied <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And eventually she got me to agree, which was, you know, I'll always be grateful for, to her for that. And uh, that got me back into piping again. And there was a, a big need for a pipe band on this end of the valley um, at the time. And so um, that was one of the things I kind of, through Helen and Petit and stuff, started to, to build up down here. Yeah. Um, and that's how White Peaks came about. Yeah, tell me about tell me about that. So, so I met the way that I met Helen. I was doing a youth theater group called Upstage Theater that uh, Corinne Vance was running there at at Petite Neat, which is that sort of. I mean, it's not just a museum. What is Petite Neat? It used to be a school. It's like a city center kind of thing, right? But it's also not like necessarily funded by the by the local government. It's more like they call it, it the art art center. Ah, oh, that makes sense. 
yeah it is non-profit a lot of people donate to it right. um but there's a it's pretty eclectic they have dance classes taught there and music classes and art and yeah um, yeah and and museum I, and all I, of other I, things i was doing this this youth theater thing there and helen came in recruited me uh to mop the floors whenever i wasn't on the stage <laughs> <laughs> and she was very specific about how they were to be mopped she cared about that building you know oh she um, very much did yeah uh, and so that's that's how i met her and i and i also would look out the windows and hear white peaks practicing on certain days and i think i think that my earliest memory of seeing a pipe band play might have been white peaks at petite neat for maybe how do, how does white peaks is the white peaks centennial pipe band right right so that's why i think it was white peaks how did that centennial get inserted in the pipe band's name tell me about that uh we formed the band up in 1996 which which was utah's centennial year mm -hmm. so that's where the centennial came from i bet that was it did you play do you remember did you play something at petite Neat, like celebrating the centennial um probably we practiced at petite Neat all the time back then yeah um, so we played a lot of things at Petit Neat and all over town. And oh. so it could have been a lot of things. Yeah, so, and, and I, you know, uh, let's see. I feel old, Don. I'm not saying this to, in order to make you feel old, but at the same time, <laughs> you're a junior high teacher and you have grandkids, so I'm sure you've had these experiences plenty of times already, right? So it probably mm -hmm. rolls like water off, the, off a duck's back. But my parents moved to Payson, I think in 94, 95, somewhere in there. And I do remember, I have a very clear vision of sitting in Petit Neat with the lights low, and there was a, we were right close to the front, maybe even the front row, and there was a pipe band. And what, actually, it's interesting to me now that what fascinated me was the snare drummers. Like, I thought, you know how they, they've got snares under the heads and stuff. When they would do their rolls, I could not understand how you could be hitting a drum, like, dot, 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 and have a brrrr coming out of it, you know? Yeah. And so I thought, they must have, like, batteries in their sticks or something, <laughs> you know? As well, a, that'd as be a handy. Kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that I think that that was the first time I encountered uh, uh, White Peaks and bagpipes in a really big way, honestly. Mm -hmm. But that was then, as I grew up, I was aware of bag bagpipes there in Payson because of White Peaks, and uh, more, 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 more so White Peaks than the high school program. And then when I got to be, you know, about junior high age, um, that's when Zach took your chanter class, and uh, I didn't have room for it in my schedule, so I took a lesson from I took lessons from Heather Herbert. Mm -hmm. um, but we started learning together. So, how did you end up teaching a chanter class? Um, I worked at the junior high, and they had had chanter classes off and on there over the years. Uh, they had it pretty regularly when Jerry Chatwin was um, teaching there. Oh, and so he he would teach the chanter class himself. He did. They they'd start him at the junior high, and then. Uh, carry him up through junior high into high school mm. and the teacher there at the time i don't think there was anyone teaching chanter class or they hadn't been for a while but i kind of you know it was something that was still in memory and um i can't remember exactly how i wound up teaching it i'm sure that i encouraged the situation <laughs> yeah advocated a bit yeah and then i taught it down there for quite a few years and it was it was pretty successful we were turning out 15 to 20 um pretty solid beginners every year yeah um but then uh things changed and it became less of a priority and they no longer had it there at the junior high yeah yeah i remember in the years that i was playing with the high school pipe band there was one year when i had to get like um some kind of like a home ec credit or something and one way to do it was to do like an internship and the high school mm -hmm. and junior high are right right they just are you know on either side of the football field there and so mm -hmm. um at the time the junior high was doing those seven class periods per day but the high school was doing four class periods per day and so i would come down every other day and i'd like go grade papers for miss whaley the i think she was a geography teacher yeah i remember her. and then for the other half of my time there i would walk over to your chanter class and basically you just tell me which like which exercises to take the class through you know to kind of warm up at the beginning of class Mm -hmm. um and then you'd take over and so i just like walk them through you know like scales on sc scales with doublings or whatever it was you know mm -hmm. but I, I you know looking at this I, I don't know how how big was the group usually i feel like it was like 30 kids you know it's a big group of kids yeah it was a pretty big group of kids there we didn't have a very high dropout rate most of them stuck with it so yeah. i mean um, it was a well-oiled machine you get them there they get ready they go up into the high school and it was a big program when i was there the pipe band was big yeah yeah it was 
they had a good thing going for quite a while. So it was. Um, Diane, it was Diane is fighting the good fight right now, keeping it alive. She is, and uh, it's been hard for anybody that's that's been up there at the high school. That's now they're trying to do it in a shorter amount of time, and that's hard to get the kids up and and going. Yeah. You know, before they graduate, so um, mm-hmm. it it is a challenge for sure. So, so my hat hats off to them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, how what was it like to start White Peaks? Was this had you been thinking for a while? Like, we need a pipe band here in this area because you're right. There was like the one down. There was you would have had the SUU kind of center for piping, and then you would have had Salt Lake. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. space in between, and a lot of people in between. Um, so, what like when did you start thinking about it? What was the motivation? Why'd you? How, how did that happen? Well, a lot of people didn't want to drive up to Salt Lake, and so they were just quitting, and um, that was it. There, there wasn't really a place. It, either it was too expensive enough for them to drive, they didn't have the transportation or time constraints, and so I, a lot of people that I taught were just winding up, you know, graduating, and and there was no place for them to go, so they just quit playing pipes, which was a shame. Yeah. Because they they put so much time and effort into it, and so. Um, there was definitely a need here for for something closer for those people to um, be able to continue their piping. And so um, kind of got into it, you know, as a result of a lot of encouraging from Helen. But, um, yeah, I've just been kind of going with that ever since. We had a large group that had learned pipes and didn't have any place to go at the time. And so I didn't want to see them just um, not be able to pursue that something that they enjoyed so much. So that was kind of the tipping point for me where I finally committed to doing that. And um, I can say, if you're thinking about starting your own pipe band, you probably should have your head examined. (laughs) (laughs) So true. It's a lot of work for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that, that Zach and I had been dreaming of since we were kids um, mm-hmm. when we first started playing. But, yeah, actually doing it. And, of course, I, I, I often talk about, like, Zach and I starting. That's that's mostly, I mean, having Zach having passed away, of course, like, I think all of our thoughts go to him in a strong way, you know. But, of course, mm-hmm. it was, you know, it takes a lot of work from a lot of people to, to be able to make that work. And so I don't mean at all to say Zach and I as if it was just the two of us doing all that work. But it is a lot of work, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is for sure. Now, yeah. did you already have connections for things like uniforms, instruments, uh, you know, supplies and stuff, or did you kind of have to run out there and start, you know, shaking hands and calling people and being like, you know, I need drums, I need kilts, you know? Well, I kind of already did that in Cedar City to, to get that group up and going. When mm-hmm. I first got there, we had five people in the entire program, including myself, and um, so there was a lot of that when. Um, while I was working with them down there. So you, you'd, so already, you'd already kind of run through these paces. Yeah, I pretty much knew. I'd, I'd made friends with Sandy St. James um, mm. along the way, and he was, he was quite a character, Sandy was, but very knowledgeable and just a gold, heart of gold. And um, he was very much uh, supportive and helpful to, you know, when we needed things or he could help us or point us in the right direction. So a lot of credit goes to him. Yeah. Now, the way that my parents found a house in Payson was that they wanted to go to the Scottish Festival there to hear the pipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is that that festival was already happening on an annual basis before White Peaks came into existence. Is that right? Yeah, it started in 1986. I was there for the first one. You were there <laughs> for the first one, really? I was, yeah. So how excited were the organizers when it became apparent that they were going to have a local band come into existence? Um, I think there was a lot of excitement for the people that knew about the group, but there are a lot of people didn't realize that, that there was a local group here. So, you know, in hindsight, it would have been better to do more publicity probably. Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't want to take away from the Payson group. So we tried, always tried very hard to kind of avoid, um, you know, taking away their... opportunities and chances Mm -hmm. to play and and recognition we didn't want to interfere with their recognition and we wanted this to be something that you know if the kids when they graduated wanted to continue they had a local right option where they could do that and 
it was never intended to compete with that group. It was yeah. my, you know, I've been invited, been involved with Pace and High School Pipe Band off and on since 1984. So mm-hmm. I very much want to see that group succeed and, and um, have tried to be available and helpful to them when I can. That was certainly so, my experience when I was in that program. It didn't feel to me at all like White Peaks was some sort of rivalry. It was rather like extra support and a place to go when you graduated. Like I, I remember, I don't remember if someone explicitly said to me or if I just had the feeling that like if you want even more instruction, if you play with the Payson High School Pipe Band, you can go to White Peaks practices and they will help you. And that's that's where I met you know a lot of people who are my closest friends now. Yourself, I'd probably met before then, but that's where I met like Swan and Susan um and sean you know uh amber and tashina like all these people who helped me quite a bit you know it mm-hmm. was like white peaks was there as extra support to the Payson program well that was that was always the goal so i'm glad to hear that from your perspective that that maybe it was successful so yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it's a it's a neat program i've seen it do a lot of uh, good for a lot of people at the high school level and beyond mm-hmm. um good for self-confidence and a lot of things that I think help people succeed in other areas of life. So we wanted yeah. to, to contribute to that. Yeah. Now I don't want to derail this entirely, but I am curious, um, what other sort of interests, um, obligations, uh, basically what other stuff takes up your time aside from bagpipes? What other things do you kind mm-hmm. of spend your mental focus on and, and stuff like that? Well, bagpipes took up a lot of my time because I was working with, with my group and and people from other groups and somebody was always needing a, something repaired or of course, help, yeah. help with the with you know technique or something like that but i've kind of in the last few years um not haven't been quite as involved in that as i have been in the past mm-hmm. so um i've been doing a lot of working and um still teach lessons and uh teach bagpipe classes and i'm doing mountain biking and uh i have an old car i work on and Mm. oh you disappeared but you're back can you hear me yep we're back sorry i heard you say you have an old car you work on yeah and but my main focus has been on my family and uh, spending time with them yeah you recently got some grandkids right one of them, yeah. One he's of a lot them. of fun. Yeah, he can say bagpipes now, so he's, <laughs> Perfect. he's on the right track. <laughs> was that even before he said grandpa? <laughs> um, or it, may have been. it may have been. <laughs> it may have been. Actually. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in a situation where that probably doesn't bug you one bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good with it. I, I remember coming down to help with the junior high chanter class, and um, it, it was probably Ian who was sitting there at your, you know, he was, he was younger, uh, he, but he'd like come, you know, for the day or something. And he was sitting there at your desk learning the pumpkins fancy and you just uh-huh. like rolling your eyes, just being like, Oh man, why is he learning this tune? <laughs> <laughs> he still plays it from time to time to tease me. Yeah. Just to tease you. <laughs> yeah. It's a great song, but at the time it was so. Okay. We're okay. Back. Sorry about yep. that, man. Sometimes no this worries. goes so smoothly and sometimes that just happens. I'm sorry about that. Okay, technology, you know, it's great when it works. And yeah, yeah. That's not always the case, so, yeah. yeah. Now, I've With, got um, I've got two boys who are, I just ordered the younger of the two a practice chanter, so I'm, I'm planning to work on both of them, get them on pipes. Um, do you, I'm curious, so, that, so like, on a, on a personal level, like, I'm kind of curious, uh, how did it go for you to kind of have your kids learn to play pipes with you? Was it ever, because, like, my, my ner- what I'm nervous about is, like, what if I become, you know, the taskmaster instead mm-hmm. of the dad and I make it so bagpipes aren't fun for my kids? You know, it's like another chore they have to do. Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, the good thing to remember is bagpiping is your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you make it fun and they want to do it, that's great. And let them know that they're doing it because they need to feel like they're doing it because they want to do it and because they enjoy it and it's fun and not because they feel like you want them to do it Um, and provide opportunities with them. You know, you're going to be dad, so you can say something a hundred times that'll go in one ear and out the other, but (laughs) (laughs) a random stranger will, will mention it in passing and it will really sink in. So um, provide them opportunities to get instruction from other people. Um, 
it's kind of disappointing as a as a dad, but it's it's the way it is, and it, it helps to keep it fun for them, you know. Yeah, Find yeah. ways for it to be fun for them. Um, yeah. Don't stress them out about it. And I can't say I've been perfect at it over the years. Uh, running a pipe band's a a big job, but um, yeah. we had a lot of good family memories. Um, we spent a lot of time together that we may not have done if we hadn't had something like piping we could do together. So, um, and they've. I think it's brought them a lot of satisfaction in their in their lives. So they're at the age now where they're getting established in the world and college and stuff like that. And piping isn't as available. You know, they don't have the time as available to pipe like they used to. But yeah. I, I think it definitely is something they have a skill for that they may come back more to later. But yeah, often the seasons they, of life it kind of comes and goes, doesn't it? Right. But you know, even if they don't, they've uh, they've got some great memories. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's like piping is something that's brought me a lot of joy, some of my closest friendships, a lot of great experiences. And so, of course, I want that for my kids, but I try to recognize that they can get those things in other ways as well. That's but very true. Sort of my main thing is like I'm gonna, if I want to spend, you know, at least a night every week and a lot of weekends, you know, a lot of road time and stuff doing piping stuff. I will feel less guilt if my family is with me and if my family's with me and also participating, like actually enjoying it, not just being drug around to these things, that's even better. And so that's kind of my like selfish desire here is like, well, maybe if they could all be into it as well, then we're all having fun. Not just this is dad's thing, you know, but yeah. can't control their minds, of course. Well, I think that that's great. And I think if you provide fun experiences for them, it will be. Um, it's I, I, you know, for me, my family was involved in it. Um, for years and years and years and it, it, we had a lot of fun doing it together and i think that's why it was fun because we were doing it together yeah. and uh, it, they weren't just sitting there just sitting in the know. tent waiting for you to get back yeah exactly and um so yeah i highly recommend that i think the more you can get your family involved in it mm-hmm. uh the more rewarding it is for everybody and um for me, you know, I can only speak for myself, but it's a very positive thing. Yeah. Now, um, you have, aside from playing multiple sets yourself, you've set up probably, do you think you even have any hope of, of estimating how many sets of pipes you have set up over the years? <laughs> no, I quit counting a long time I bet ago. you did. <laughs> My pipes that I've been playing for going on 20 years now, are a set that we got from you that you had set up that right yeah that, i used to play that set myself and and you know what don i still have i still have the same drone reads all <laughs> it's the time stick- for an upgrade <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like i've i've thought that before but at the same time it's like as long as i'm comfortable i'm very comfortable you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i've still got the same drone reads honestly i still have the same tape holding the tongues onto the drone reads everything <laughs> about them is exactly the same i still have the same sticks and stocks of course Mm-hmm. Still have the same Ganaway hide bag. Hats off to Ganaway. Holy moly, that bag was used when I started using it, and it's still airtight. Yeah, I can't believe that thing's still going. That's it's amazing. amazing, right? Yeah. I and I still have um, a set of tone enhancers that I think you actually manufactured yourself. Yeah, I did for a while. So and, probably. And yep. those, uh, they have saved me so many times from losing my reads. Like, I don't know what effect they've actually had on the airflow. Like, cause honestly I've never played my pipes without them, but uh-huh. for saving my reads from going into the bag, if nothing else, <laughs> they're worth it for that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely have a, a useful place. That's for sure. Yeah. I think you're playing one of the blow pipes I made too, if I recall. That's right. I am. I did. I kind of did a hack job of cutting the very bottom piece off so I could fit a moose valve into the stock. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, the blow pipes the same. Yep. Yep. I uh, you've got your fingerprints all over not only my learning how to play but also even my instrument, Don. Um, <laughs> you are you are oh. in, indispensable. I, I even still have the same case. Everything about my setup is like, oh, this is how Don did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyone that knows anything about me knows that I'm always pushing the envelope. So if you you get your hands on a set of pipes that I played, they're probably not. They probably had a lot of little enhancements not, over the not years. Not stock, right? Yeah. So, so having done all of that, do you have any favorites? Like, is there a set of equipment that you'd be like, oh, this is like the gold standard. I love this, you know? Um, you mean like a set of pipes? Or? A set of pipes. I don't know. Blow pipes. You know, just kind of what kind of kit is like really, or, or even do you have a dream set? Do you have things that you're like, yeah, someday when I win the lottery, I'm going to get me some of that. 
Mm-hmm. I've uh, I learned to do a lot of bagpipe repair, so I've been able to get my hands on some really cool bagpipes that have been in, in rough shape mm. that I've been able to bring back and that I'd never been able to afford if they were in great shape, you know. Yeah. But, um, so I've got to play a lot of different bagpipes. I have a set of old Hendersons from, uh, best guess is about 1860. Whoa. Um, that uh, they're Cocos Wood. They're an old Cocos Wood set. Probably made by Henderson himself. Wow, but, that's amazing. But, um, yeah, they're great. They're, every Every single bagpipe has has a great personality and I wouldn't have a problem playing any of the ones that I've had over the years because I, you know, I just work on them until I, I feel like they're doing what I want them to do. And yeah. then, um, and some of them I've more aggressively modified than others over the years, but, um, how, how many sets of pipes do you have? Like, you know, in various states of repair, you know, just sort of in possession at present. I'm just curious. Well, the last few years have been kind of crazy for me. So I've sold off most of my pipes. So, yeah. Um, Do you know what the count was at, at the peak? How many you've had at any one time? I want to say somewhere around 12 sets. <laughs> you had a whole band, man. <laughs> well, a lot of them I got because I had students that couldn't afford pipes, and so yeah. I would get them and, and restore them and, and bring them back to life, and then they were lent out to students. Yeah. So um, it, I hardly ever had that many well, I don't know if I ever had that many set of bagpipes here at the house, but um, I owned that many anyway. Yeah, so. and they were just in various other houses being played by other people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I hate to see anybody that wanted to play that was denied that opportunity because they couldn't afford a set of bagpipes. So yeah, I tried to help where I could. Yeah, and honestly, like I, I don't, of course, I'm not speaking for him or anything, but that is, it's something that, it was always so important to Zach as well. And I suspect that he was influenced, you know, having, having learned from you and spent so many years playing with you in that same way that like, if someone wants to play, then how can I remove the barriers to make it so they can play? Yeah. That's, that's always been my mission statement, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, who, who knows, you know, in, in, our, in whatever small humble ways, I think there are a lot of us who miss Zach a lot, who are, trying to find ways to do precisely that it seems like the best way to memori- memorialize him at all mm-hmm. is to kind of continue that that kind of that kind of idea remove barriers make it so more people can have access to to piping and drumming well hey the more the merrier yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and and speaking of drumming now now i've talked there are a few people in, in in our band that that you and i both know and and people who i've talked to in other bands as well after they've heard about this that have been experiencing um, sort of like nerve problems and stuff, dystonia and stuff, you know, that make it hard to play the instrument that they love after having played it for decades. And mm-hmm. do I remember right that you have something, did you have carpal tunnel or arthritis or something? I remember you taking us through like some stretches that would help sort of prevent problems that you yourself had experienced. I think at least is, that was the explanation. Yeah, I uh, um, really struggled with carpal tunnel. At one time I was really pushing myself and did a lot of soloing and I was... I was practicing eight hours a day, mm. and I started to lose feeling in my fingers and cramping in my hands. And uh, young and stupid into my twenties, I felt like I was indestructible, so I kept, mm. so you powered kept through. pushing. <laughs> so I, 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 I believe I have some nerve damage in my hands, and mm. um, I struggle with the carpal tunnel still. It'll, uh, it's quite interesting. It's like you're playing, and then a finger will hesitate, like it doesn't. The brain sends the message for it to move. And it doesn't do it. It doesn't quite do it. But mm. so I try and and uh, the people I work with help them avoid that. But yeah. um, I've learned a lot of things now that if I'd known then, it would have been a different story. But so I try and pass those on to other people so that they they don't have the same limitations. Yeah. You know. So yeah, but, the other you know, part of those warm ups you'd have me do in the chanter class was to take the whole class through some of these stretches. Yeah, they're they're very important to keep doing them. Yeah, <laughs> I still do. That's for sure. Good. Good. But yeah, so, but you know, stuff happens to everybody. You just learn yeah. to work around it. Have you ever um, either motivated by, by maybe the experience of having carpal tunnel that affects your, your piping or otherwise, have you ever picked up, uh, you know, uh, tenor mallets, bass mallets, uh, snare sticks? You ever play competitively or otherwise on any of the drums? Yeah, I studied snare for a while when I was new and I used to talk with Zach about it. I think that kind of got him excited about the idea and, and um, 
I know he pursued that for a while too. Yeah, he became quite quite a snare player. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He's very talented. Yeah. Um, and I've tried different things, but most everything uh, just aggravated it more. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to decide where I wanted to focus my efforts. I guess so. Yeah. Um, they have the surgery and stuff now that you can do. Um, I've talked to a lot of people that have had it, and some people it it's um, you know, I guess they've had the surgery for a long time, but some people it, it's really kind of eliminates the other problem. The problem and other people, it, it tends to come back. So it's, it's kind of sixes, it seems like. So if I, you know, do the physical therapy, I do okay. So, yeah. Yeah. What is, um, what does piping look for, look like for you these days? Um, are you doing some, like, you know, we're, we're right in this COVID stuff, you know, so when competitions exist again, you know, are you are you building up white peaks to go compete? Are you looking at soloing stuff, or is it more kind of casual, kind of play for yourself kind of stuff? Gigs? You said you do still do instruction. I do. Yeah, I was at a point where I was looking to exit bagpipes completely. Yeah. Um. But I had some students that really wanted to continue, and I didn't want to leave them high and dry, and and other students that wanted lessons, so they kind of kept me going. Um, yeah. I'm still figuring out, you know, with the whole COVID and everything, I think a lot of people are figuring out uh, what the new normal is going to be. Yeah. So, you I, know, I, in some ways I'm still sorting that out. Yeah, and, and probably even aside from COVID, I, I, I'm not personally, like, equipped to speak intelligently or well to, like, mental health, but I know, like, like personally... It seems like I, when I go through some cycles of depression and stuff, may, maybe it's just because bagpipes are kind of a main focus, like something that takes a lot of time, but also kind of a passion for me, something that brings me joy and stuff. It seems like it's always bagpipes that in my mind go to the chopping block, you know, when I go through yeah. these negative cycles, you know. And so maybe if it was something else, it would be that thing instead, you know. But it's uh -huh. like... I'm, I'm still I'm, I don't I don't think I in any way have it sorted out you know but it feels like when I go through these cycles of sort of mm, I, what would you call it like less I'm, when I'm less healthy mentally or emotionally um, it's like bagpiping is the thing that I'm like well I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sell my pipes I don't need them anymore you know like why well, I'm never gonna do that again and then somehow it always ends up being an in integral part like kind of a tool that helps me to get out of those cycles as well. Does that does that resonate at all? Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I always find playing my bagpipes is very cathartic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. Hmm. For me, it's, you know, there's a lot of things. Uh, just weighing how much of a priority it's going to be in my life in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, things change and um, priorities change. Mm -hmm. So, and with COVID, you know, everything's kind of surreal right now. So it's hard to say. True enough. Yeah. You know what, what it's going to be like. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it kind of, kind of having to shut a lot of things down does kind of put everybody, I think, into sort of a mindset of like, well, now let's take a minute and think, what do I want to prioritize? You know? Yeah. And I think they find other things too, that, mm -hmm. that they get interested in that, you know, may, um, you know, take up some of their time and interest too. Yeah. So. And unfortunately there is a limited number of hours in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yep. <laughs> I often this year teaching, teaching with COVID, we're basically working two jobs. We're running a, Oh man. Uh, in person instruction. It's mm. been different all over the state, but my district we've had in person all year. Plus we're running online instruction concurrently for a lot of people that are at home. So, so it's two that's, full jobs. Yeah. So it's taken, you know, a lot of time mm. just to keep that up and going. So, yeah. um, after this year is over, things will be different. Yeah. See what, see what space opens up and see what fills that space. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have, so, so another way that you've kind of left your fingerprints on my piping experience is exposure to bagpiping music. Um, I, no, no offense to the Wicked Tinkers, of course. I love the Wicked Tinkers. Aaron Shaw's an amazing piper. The group has always been excellent. Of course, I'll always feel like the original iteration of the Tinkers is the best iteration, but the current iteration is also <laughs> excellent. Um, but I'm sure you remember that Zach and I were like very enthusiastic um, little uh, Tinkerheads when we were kids. 
Mm. And um, and you expressly, I remember you saying directly, hey, the Tinkers are great, but there is more out there. And then you handed me a CD. And it mm. had just like this wonderful mix of like, you know, some of the big bands, you know, SFU and stuff like that. Also a band that I only recently found out what band it was. It's a band called Brother. They had this album called uh, Black Rock. Black Rock... Mm-hmm. Uh, Gink or something like that. <laughs> yeah, where they did bagpiping rap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you gave me the CD, and that honestly, that CD is like, it, it was a source of inspiration, and still is t- for me to this day. So I'm just curious, like, <laughs> what are some favorites for you? You know, some groups or some individuals that have maybe remained evergreen, or simply have been very influential to listen to. For me, I'd say my, I'm always pushing the envelope, and my interests are expanding. I, I don't know if you've seen anything on the Utah Bagpiper page that I posted off and on, but I posted things on there about, um, like, Hindu uh, mm-hmm. singing with Peabrook and um, some of the Mongolian mouth music with the mm-hmm. Germanic bagpipes and things. So um, I have a lot of different interests that change as I learn m- new things. I've, I've definitely gained an appreciation for broader um swath of bagpiping than I had when I was younger and one benefit of age I guess is you get to see the the longer picture and how things maybe fit together a little bit better and mm. it's interesting to see how the different um, cultures and are integrating and how the ba- different bagpipes are integrating and the possibilities and the things that are out there so mm. um, I'd say that it's always changing yeah, I think it was thanks to you posting on there um, a video of some pipers, uh, maybe at a Hungary, maybe somewhere Eastern Europe, maybe like Estonia area, mm-hmm. um, where these pipers are like running through the snow, wearing some crazy outfits, and they kidnap a bunch of girls in this little village, and they all go rolling around in the snow, including with their bagpipes and stuff. Do you remember that video? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was thanks to you that I got in into that like rabbit hole of, <laughs> of, of bagpiping on YouTube. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Um a lot of new stuff happening all the time. Now, would you have any advice to a person if, you know, say you come across a person, be they young or old, and they're like, I like piping and drumming. I'm interested in this world. I kind of, I'm, they're dipping a toe. They're kind of getting started. Um, and say you only had one chance to say something to them. What do you think you might say? Um, do what you need to, to get good instruction because, mm-hmm. um, it makes all the difference in the in the long term. If you wanna if you wanna be good enough, um, instruction doesn't matter so much. But if you wanna be continuously progressing, you need a good foundation, and um, there's just no getting around that. If you can get a good foundation, then you know anything's possible from there. Yeah. And what about um, tunes that you've played? Are there any tunes that you have played that have been just a favorite for years and years and years that you love playing, I mean? Um, that's a good question. Well, and I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what motivated it if, it, if it helps to give you a minute to think about it, is that I, I have this, I, I don't know if it's an accurate memory, but I have this idea in my head that um, you really loved 40-second Highlanders. And maybe that's not true, but it's, it felt like when I was a teenager, like whenever we would play, when I played individually with, with White Peaks, but also if the high school ever played with White Peaks for something, um, we would definitely play 40, second at some, 40 seconds at some point. Yeah, that's a tune I've, I've played from the beginning, I guess. It's a good tune. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I like not, it too. Yeah. Not as widely played as you'd think of outside of Utah. I mean, in Utah, we've heard a lot, but you get outside of Utah, and a lot of people aren't familiar with it. But I, I can't play Scott and the Brave without attaching it to the end at all. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they go together in my mind, for sure. That's, yeah. probably, that's probably your fault. <laughs> probably, yeah, because we did that a lot. But Yeah, they're good tunes. Um, there's a lot of tunes that I like that I played over the years that kind of have a special place that I'm always... You know that that's evolving and changing too. Yeah. I really some of the hymns that we played at the Nabu Pipe Band really have a special place in my heart. They they were originally you know Celtic songs, a lot of them. You know back a long time ago, and they they just sit on the pipes really well, and they have kind of a special feeling about them. I really enjoy those. Um, I like a good two four march. It's hard to find a really good one, but when you can find a good one there, yeah. I enjoy them. They're, there's a lot of fun stuff too, hornpipes and reels and jigs and 
whatnot, but yeah. And are there any tunes that are still kind of top of your maybe someday list that you'd really love to learn? Um, there are. There's some good P. Brooks that mm. are on my back burner that, you know, if I get in back into that, then um, definitely something I'll pursue. Yeah. But I'm always looking for new ones. You know, you, you have favorite ones for a long time. You play them for a long time, and uh, they need a break for a while, you know? Yep, <laughs> look so for, true. Yeah. Look for something uh, something new. Speaking of pumpkins, fancy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when I was while I was coming up, it was Clumsy Lover. Everybody was playing oh, Clumsy yeah. Lover. That's what everyone wanted to learn how to play. That makes so much sense because I I wouldn't be surprised. I I don't know if it would have happened otherwise, but maybe it's because of your instruction that like Clumsy Lover was a was a hot one for for like for like Sean and maybe Swan as well. I remember, but I remember some of your pupils, sort of like people who I at least saw as being like. Don taught this person. Now this person's teaching me. Like "Clumsy mm -hmm. Lover" was a pretty common tune throughout throughout those folks. Yeah, it was really popular. It was, it was. You have to understand, "Clumsy Lover" was really uh, uh, marked a big change in the piping culture. Mm. Um, in the '60s and '70s, it was so military type. Um, that was the focus, and into the early '80s, and Neil Dickey came out with a lot of. Uh, edgy stuff like Clumsy Lover and a lot of the things that he had. I don't know if you ever had a chance to visit with Neil Dickey, but he's quite a character. No, I never he's, have, but I'd uh, imagine he would be. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a pleasure to visit with. He's a real good guy. But yeah. it really kind of moved piping, you know, into other areas to see new possibilities. In that time, the piping that had existed in Cape Breton was starting to open up and become more more popular, which was a different type of piping that it was not the military style yeah uh, they called it kitchen piping and a lot of different things um originally it's pretty mainstream now but right now you uh, got your ross millers and your your uh um oh who's the, who's that guy who'd played with gordon duncan um ainsley um and of course lincoln hilton folks like that like you definitely yep. can see like that that sort of heritage in, in the way that they're playing yeah yep but back then, you know, as we were changing from the real military focus into the other stuff, it was quite an exciting time. And I, I think piping in a lot of ways uh, were much more in touch with what the piping culture was before it became so militarized mm. um, than, than it was during that time. Uh, you guys definitely have a different piping world than the one I came up in. Mm. Uh, things have changed a lot. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Um what do you think how would you like to bring this to a to a graceful landing don um do you have any like anything that you'd like to say because like a lot of the people who are going to listen to this know you they're people who've played with you before that you've taught before we can end with something sort of light-hearted i often ask people how they feel about pineapple on pizza you know and i can cut this little bit out you know and then just kind of kind of fade into drones um what do you think mm -hmm. would be a do you have any sort of preference at all for how we kind of wrap stuff up I would just say, um, enjoy it. Uh, don't get caught up in the competition of it or the, you know, maybe personality conflicts that may happen in any competitive endeavor. And remember why you're playing bagpipes and enjoy it. Enjoy the music, enjoy the culture, and don't lose sight of having fun. Beautiful. That will be a beautiful way to close it. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me, Don. Um, I, I don't know how best to express myself. I just, I cannot help but see, like I say, your, your fingerprints all over everything for me. Um, the people who you taught, who then taught me, the teaching that you did directly to me, the setting up of the instrument itself, the influence of what music I listened to when I first got started, and of course that echoes into what music I'm listening to now, you know, and maybe even more importantly the people who I've been around with for these now almost two decades in this piping world they themselves might not have been there if you hadn't been there to run a program or to teach a lesson or to set up an instrument and so those friendships also have this tie back and so and and not not to like not to congratulate myself in any way but just then recognizing that I've taught a lot of students um, in private instruction as well as in the group lessons that the pipe band puts on and now there's this band and it just 
it fe I, can't, I can't quite grasp it. I can't quite see it. But there is this interconnected web that means a lot to me. And you're an important part of it. And so I'm grateful to you. And now I'm teaching my kids how to play pipes. You know, it's just like, how far does this go? You know, D it goes on forever, you know, and it's, yeah. uh, it's just, it's kind of a beautiful thing is all. Well, one thing that was, that I heard once was that it really, I guess I try to do is, is there's a saying that says, when you teach somebody something that you took year, it took you years to learn, you enabled them to leapfrog over all those years mm. and, and, um, be able to push it farther. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's what I've tried to do. You know, pass on what I've I've learned, um, and hopefully it it continues. So I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you a million times. And um, oh, you're very welcome. You know, like do of course do what's best for.